Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 241. 241. Um, I want to go provincial a little bit. Um, I hope you don't mind. And talk uh, talk about what's going on in Idaho uh, politics. Uh, because there has been a great shakeup. Um, uh, as I'm recording this, uh, the... Uh, this is what Friday. This last Tuesday was our primary election, and uh, the, just some, to my in my thinking, some marvelous things uh, happened. And the um, the weeping and gnashing of teeth has already um, has already begun. So let me t- let me talk a little bit about this. Um, uh, Idaho is a ruby red state. So, um, but it is, it's got a reputation for being redder than it actually is. So if it it really is a red state and it really is conservative, overwhelmingly Republican. So winning the Republican nomination is, um, basically the same as winning, winning the general, uh, the, the last democratic governor of Idaho, I think, was back in the '90s. Um, so it's a, it really is a red state. It's a safe Republican state. However, having said that, um, uh, although it's red, it's and it has a reputation for being ruby red, as I said. It's, um, it's got. We've got our share of squishes and rhinos and accommodators and adapters. Uh, here. And a lot of people are dining out on the reputation of how conservative Idaho is, and they've allowed things to drift. And this has exasperated a number of uh, um, Idahoans who want it to be as red as people think we are. And so um, we, and that came out in this last election. Also, uh, in the, in the couple years prior to this election, we had you know, the great COVID panic and the lockdown and Governor Little, our, our governor, Republican governor, um, uh, locked us down and um, had us in a state of un- uh, unnecessary uh, state of emergency and just a lot of, um, yeah, lots, lots of no good, right? Well, in the, in, in the, uh, in the state of emergency, the Idaho House of Representatives, which is really is conservative, um, voted to end the lockdown. And then that, that was defeated, uh, because of the ensconced, uh, moderates, liberals in the Idaho Senate. Okay. In the meantime, so we've got a, uh, a pretty tame, pretty tame middle of the road Republican governor. And, Sort of uh, his lieutenant governor is a woman uh, named McGeehan who ran against him in the primary and lost. So Brad Little is is going to be the next governor of Idaho again. But here's what happened 
in the uh, in the swirling pool around Brad Little. We've had a um, uh, an incumbent attorney general. Well, let me back out. I'll back up for a minute. In the um, in the Idaho elections, generally in a primary year, uh, on average four incumbents get successfully challenged um, by a in a primary uh, uh, matchup. So someone's an incumbent, they get challenged, and in an average year across Idaho, which is remember the size of Great Britain. So Idaho is a pretty big state. Across all of Idaho, you have, uh, on average, four uh, incumbents go down in a primary challenge. Uh, the record was something like eight, uh, double that amount, uh, eight um, people. And I think that was in 2008 or thereabouts. So, um, so what happened this year? Well, this year, it was around 20. So uh, this is sort of a uh, chart buster, bloodbath. Uh, This election was an absolute bloodbath for incumbents. With the end result that the Idaho Senate, which was sort of the place where a bunch of the liberals had burrowed into the woodwork, the Idaho Senate has moved sharply to the right. Also, uh, a gent named Raul Labrador, a very strong candidate, good guy candidate, uh, challenged the incumbent attorney general. So, uh, and and won, prevailed against him. The attorney, the attorney general, the, the current attorney general, um, did not join other attorneys general across the United States in lawsuits that you would have expected. Idaho to be a participant in, and he just wouldn't do it. And now that's that's done. Uh, Raul Labrador is going to be, I think, a very good attorney general. And th- what this means is that um, uh, Governor Little, who I think has been easily manipulated uh, by the left, because the left was in a position to apply pressure and apply backup, provide backup for him. Um, so he could rely on his attorney general. He could get advice from his attorney general and say, I'm going to sign this, but I don't think it's constitutional. Or I'm going to keep you in a state of emergency because the Senate can slow walk anything the House does and, not- and nothing's going to come of it. Well, that's not true anymore. Um, so I think we might be in a position to see more conservative things get done in Idaho with little as the governor and a very conservative House and a very conservative Senate and a very conservative Attorney General than we would have been able to do if McGeehan had uh, won her primary challenge against uh, against the governor. So that's where we are. Um, I think it's fair to say that our reputation uh, for being a very red state has been somewhat restored. And um, if... If you see a news story, as I just saw uh, an hour or so ago, if you see news stories about how extremists are taking over the state of Idaho, uh, just realize it's. Uh, <laughs> I I remember uh, the, back twenty years ago, there used to be an Aryan compound up in Hayden Lake, Idaho, which is an hour and a half drive north of us here, and. 
they had, I don't know what, 10, 10 neo-Nazis or people like that. And everybody thinks that Idaho is this radical state because you can find a picture of a guy in Idaho with a swastika. And, and, uh, but I think you could probably find more neo-Nazis in a square city block in New York City than you could find in the entire state of Idaho. So basically, um, this is just what's happening in Idaho is normal conservative politics and like you know it's a big state there there are always going to be some there there will always be some fruits and nuts and the liberal media is going to want to portray what's happening in Idaho as a, as an extremist festival and uh, that's not what's happening at all so continuing on with um the podcast episode 241 the word empagmas empagmas e m p a i g m o s empagmas means mocking and it's the next word that we're evaluating in our study of amartyology it's a hapax occurring just one time in the new testament so and that one time is hebrews 11:36 and others had trial of cruel mockings, there it is, mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. So, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. So, this usage occurs in, in Hebrews 11, which is, as you no doubt remember, God's great hall of fame when it comes to faith. The passage has moved on from the particular heroic deeds of particular people, Abraham and Noah and Sarah and um, people like that, and was describing rather, uh, was now describing other faithful witnesses more generally. Others, unnamed others, had trial of cruel mockings and so on. So it's noteworthy that mocking is listed right alongside scourging as one of the things endured. So others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Jesus tells us in another place that ridicule is considered by him to be a form of persecution. It's quite false to say that verbal, ab uh, that verbal abuse is first world persecution or paper cut persecution. When evangelical Christians complain about the treatment that we get, the mocking and the, uh, you know, the dismissal, the fundamentalist or evangelical believers are in North America are the one group that you can mock with impunity. You can't do that with can't do that with blacks, can't do that with lesbians, can't do that with Jews, can't do that with except evangelicals. Have at it. Open season. And when evangelicals complain about this, um, it's easy to say, oh, did you get did, did someone disagree with you on Twitter? Did did someone say that you were stupid because you said something stupid on Twitter? That's not persecution, you bozo. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, in order to in order to get to the really gnarly forms of mistreatment, it is necessary for persecutors to soften up the target first. The, nobody nobody gets persecuted when the when the surrounding when the i mean persecuted concentration camp persecution thrown into the arena uh persecuted nobody nobody gets thrown into dungeons or or put on the rack or uh sent off to the gulag 
because the general population thinks that they are swell fellow citizens who contribute more than their fair share. That's not how it goes. So um, <laughs> before, prior to an invasion, if one country wants to invade another country prior to a beachhead landing, one of the things that has commonly happened is an art artillery barrage to soften up the the target first. And if if you said, well, what are you complaining about? No, no, no foreign troops have invaded yet. It's just an artillery barrage. You need, in, or, in order to get to actual mistreatment, you need years of othering the people, where you need years of people being told, you know, evangelicals are enemies of mankind. You know, the, um, those people are ruining your town. Those people are uh, destroying everything. They are getting into everything. They're buying up everything. They're doing these wicked, nefarious deeds. And then it's got to be um, uh, the verbal harassment is what sets the stage for what comes next. So uh, I've lived here in this Moscow for, uh, for go, let's see, going on, going on 45 years. Uh, well, maybe a little less than that, 43, 44, somewhere in there. It's it's getting up there, and I'm getting old. But it's in that neighborhood over 40 years. And um, there's always been strong political currents and disagreements and, and so on. But the level of hostility, open hostility, that has come out over the last couple of years is qu quite simply uh, astonishing. Um, uh, a few months ago, a few months ago, I was walking downtown and, uh, Nancy was driving somewhere and she saw me and she rolled down her window to call, call to me to greet me. And I just, I didn't pay any attention. I just soldiered on. I heard someone calling, but I didn't look around or stop, um, because I thought it was somebody, someone else cussing me out, uh, which is the sort of thing that happens pretty, pretty regularly. I get uh, twenty percent of a wave pretty regularly. I get people yelling at me, cussing me out, and so I th I heard this voice calling, and I and I got to, got home that night, and Nancy said, "Doug, why didn't you know? Why didn't you respond? Why didn't you look at me? Oh, I thought so. <laughs> I just uh, was not responding to someone who was uh, letting fly, right? Well, that that kind of thing is new. That kind of thing has only happened." in the last couple of years. And I believe, and this is, a, I believe what's happening here in Moscow is a microcosm of what is uh, happening at large all across the country. And I think that if, um, if the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case really does strike down Roe as it's looking, it's looking as though it will happen, um, as uh, as soon as next month, if Roe goes down, then I think the fat is in the fire, and I think that evangelical Christians will be accused of wrecking our democracy, wrecking our country, wrecking our um, our, our way of life, and they are going to be the recipients of all kinds of verbal abuse, and those mockings are paired in Scripture with 
scourgings. It's it's not the case that mockings are that mocking and reviling and so forth is not persecution. Now Jesus calls it persecution. All right, so um, continuing on with our podcast, this is episode 241. We've come to my book review. The book review is by a gent named Mitchell, um, and it's, the book is called American Awakening. American Awakening. And he, uh, this book is about uh, cancel culture and the woke f- frenzy um, that's going on. Uh, but his thesis is quite interesting. Uh, what he argues is that this um, this woke spasm that we're going through, this woke spasm, is a religious phenomenon. It's a religious phenomenon. Uh, America has a history of awakenings, history of awakenings. The Great Awakening uh, is was just in the decades prior to our war for independence, under men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Uh, the second Great Awakening was in the first part of the 19th century. Uh, there were uh, problem areas. It was the, the, the second Great Awakening was probably much more orthodox down south and had problematic figures like Charles Finney, uh, other revivalists up north. Um, Mormonism came out of the burned-over district. So many revivals had happened in New York State that um, uh, that's where Mormonism was uh, born. But there, were, so th- that's the second Great Awakening, which had a lot of um, well, had a, a big impact. Mitchell's argument is that that what we're going through now is carrying on the American tradition of a religious awakening, but it's a religious awakening that nobody appears to know is religious. Uh, God's not involved. It's a godless revival. So, um, and it's a revival of ancient pagan forms and structures, and it has all the intensity, all the zeal, all the um, uh, persecuting fire that you uh, would get from a religious uh, that you would get from a religious awakening. So when um, basically um, uh, Mitchell's, Mitchell has a good grasp of, uh, I think, good grasp of theology. He's writing as a, as a Christian. He is uh, setting forth the, the basic alternatives. That we, we only, it's, as I'm fond of saying, it's Christ or chaos. It's either Christianity or paganism. It's Christianity or paganism. And uh, as we consider what's before us, I think there has to be uh, uh, the, the, the awakening that's going on now has to be met on its own territory. In other words, there's no political answer to this religious frenzy. This is a religious frenzy. And uh, we are going to have to go out and have our preachers encounter their priests. Uh, we're going to have to meet them on Mount Carmel. We're going to have to see, um, we're going to have to be willing to issue a challenge. The God who answers with fire, he is God. 
If you'd like more of this kind of content, be sure to check out Canon Plus. That's where you can find all of my audiobooks and a huge collection of resources to help you engage with culture and live faithfully. By subscribing to Canon Plus, you're supporting the making of this show and more. If you haven't joined up yet, you can get your first month for just 99 cents by using the promo code DUG99.